Welcome to Rethinking Youth Ministry, where each week we hope to raise the bar for youth ministry by asking questions, interviewing thinkers, and having real, honest conversations about what it looks like to lead the next generation. I'm Sarah, and this week I'm joined by Crystal Chang. Hi, friends. Tom Chef Shunis. Hey, everybody. And Steve Underwood. Hello, internet people. <laughs> and today on Rethinking Youth Ministry, we're going to be talking about when to leverage and not leverage culture in your youth ministry. But before we get started, this is Steve's very first podcast with us. Yay! And we are very excited to have him. So Steve, tell us a little bit about what your job description is, what you do here, and yeah, we'll go from there. Okay. Um, I always forget my specific title, Crystal, but it's... <laughs> Something about content and about media, which mm-hmm. is enough for me to have a starting point. Mm-hmm. And basically, I try to make all the pretty things, I guess is what I would say. So bumper videos and art and developing playlists, working on set design with Crystal and CJ, who pretty much drive that. Um, but I kind of manage that process. I don't make all of those things because there's a lot of things and it takes a lot of very talented people, but kind of just driving the train on that and kind of leading the direction on all of that. Great. Well, we're really excited to have you because for those who are listening, Steve is like the culture guru on our team. And long before we had an idea to even do a podcast, we wanted Steve to do his own podcast to just talk about culture because he schools us every day about Steve what is happening is our in the world. Personal TMZ. <laughs> he is our personal. That's a great way to put it. First, our personal I guess TMZ. I will wear that. <laughs> when Taylor Swift's video, what the music video for "Look What You Made Me Do" was that right. was came yeah. out, we went to lunch and literally spent the entire lunch talking about the secret meanings we hidden deconstructed in this video. Taylor we did. Swift, which basically mm-hmm. means we just sat and listened to Steve talk about it. That's right. And he, it was a deep dive. It, it was, but it was I'm thoroughly a little entertaining. Of it, but it was super yeah. helpful. He brought evidence. <laughs> <laughs> But he keeps us super relevant. And so the fact that Steve is here with us, it's, it's like Christmas morning, having him do a podcast. He actually he actually is doing it. So basically what Steve said, one of the things I tell people when we talk about our curriculum is that Steve makes us look good. And so all the media and the graphics pieces that he does, that's all what makes XP3 so great. So um, the reason why I think this is such a crucial part of what we do is because Steve does a great job representing culture. And when I talk about our curriculum with people, I say, you can tell when graphics look good and you can tell when they look bad, but you don't necessarily know how to make them look good yourself. And Steve is great at figuring out what makes it look good and making the rest of the curriculum look good. So we're super glad to have you here. And as we kind of get started, I just want to start with asking the question is why is it important to have culture be a part of the conversation at all? Like, why does this matter? What would y'all say? Well, students are in our environment for an hour a week and all their other hours they're in culture. Right. And honestly, because they have their phones, they're in culture while they're in our environment right. too. So to not address it just seems really strange. Mm-hmm. Good. And I would say too, I mean, and this is just a personal thought. It's not necessarily the thought. But when I, whenever I talk about culture and we're talking about youth ministry, for me, it's pop culture. Right. So it's popular culture. It's, you know, what are they doing in social media? What are they doing with music and television and all that stuff? And so there is a culture at large that we always talk about. But I think for a student, we're primarily talking about pop culture because mm-hmm. they don't necessarily care about political culture. Right. Some do, but political culture, what's happening internationally? Like, I don't know. I mean, nobody, that's not really, that's what we talk about as adults. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we would talk about that with students. So that's again, good. that's my frame of reference. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's for everybody, but that's how I would view it. That's good. But there is a broader culture as well. Yeah, I think it's important to talk about it. I mean, it, it's a little bit confusing to me. We mm-hmm. talk about it 
kind of as if the premise is that there are two separate cultures, which mm-hmm. we could talk about, I guess. And the other part is if, if you want to be relevant at all to um, an outside student who's mm-hmm. coming in, you have to consider what they like and love to listen to. Mm-hmm. And so, um, or see or look at and all that, all that good stuff. So, I mean, it's, it's just a, it's a, a really a question about relevance to, to students, I think. I think that's a good point when you talk about being relevant to outsiders, because I think our tendency in church is always going to become more insulated and keep the church people in and not necessarily reach the outsiders. Right. And I don't think you would necessarily lose your audience if you become less relevant. You, you wouldn't lose the people you already have, but you wouldn't gain more people. And so right. I think it's one of those things where if you're not being culturally relevant, you don't necessarily see the negative effects of it. You're just missing out on what it could be. I think that's great. Yeah. I think that's great. I mean, my church growing up, was the last place yeah. I would want to bring it. <laughs> I mean, it sounds terrible. And yeah. I didn't realize how guilty I felt about it because in one hand it was always, we need to invite our friends to church. Right. And I didn't even realize the tension in me was my friends are going to hate this, right. you know? So, yeah. and, and so I didn't, it was just hard for me to invite friends to church. And then I, there were just all the things I knew I would have to explain, you know? Right. And, and a lot of those things are important. I'm not saying they're not, but it was just, it's just important to think about it. And I don't think it's an either or sort of thing, right. you know, um, but many, many people do. So, and that's why we're having this conversation, right? Well, that kind of, that makes me want to ask the question of, it, it does, does sometimes feel like that it's mutually exclusive to have a relevant student ministry and a deep student ministry. So I would love to talk a little bit about how those two things coexist, that you can have something that feels attractive to an outsider, but also still be really meaningful to a student who's church already. I think even the premise of that assumes that relevance and depth are opposites. Right. And I don't think that's true. I think the depth of scripture, no matter how deep you dive, it's always relevant. Right. And if it's not presented in a relevant way, it doesn't matter how deep you dive, right? Because if students not walking home with it in a way that they can actually practice it, why are you doing it? Yeah. Right. I have found in writing a talk for middle schoolers or something, and one of the filters I always run it through is what, how will an outsider think through Mm -hmm. some of the Mm -hmm. things I'm saying and what I usually find out. And when I create the talk, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about speaking to my kids or my age or those sorts of things. Like I'm trying to, and deep, of course it's going to be deep. I'm not going to say anything that's not important and I'm excited to say, but normally when the the process of making it relevant to Mm -hmm. an outsider is usually adding about two sentences to your talk. Like when you're getting into something and it also, for me, it allows us to teach kids who think, who are sitting there thinking, oh, I should know this, but I don't. It mm-hmm. allows us to teach to them as well mm-hmm. and allows us to make sure. I mean, just consider that they're in the room and it'll change a little bit of the way you talk. But I, it, it amazes me how few words it adds to my talk. Can you give me an example? Like what would be something you'd add to a talk to make <clears throat> it feel more? Relevant? So, I mean, the Apostle Paul and the whole thorn in the flesh mm-hmm. verse. I think it's a great opportunity to stop and say, for those of you who don't go to church, this might mm-hmm. explain a lot about your Christian friends. Right. And this is just real. And it becomes real because right. they have felt everything the Apostle Paul is mm-hmm. going to talk about. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? You know, this. it's an amazing verse that connects with everybody in the room. But simply adding that sentence perks mm-hmm. up both the kids who should know the story or the kids who, and they're just really understanding their own heart and what's going on in their own, you know. Right. 
that the writer of the New Testament or most of the New Testament struggles with the same thing that we're going to talk about you guys struggling with today. Chef, I think you're so right. And since we're talking about preparing our talks for students, I think it's so important when you speak to a group of students to understand the culture of the kids you're talking to. Mm -hmm. Because what I would say to a group of kids in rural Appalachia is so different than what I would say to a group of kids in suburbia or a group of kids in an urban environment, even depending on the school within the same school system, Mm -hmm. it might change the references to what musical artists, are you going to reference a country artist or a rapper? Are you going to reference this celebrity or that celebrity? Who are the heroes of the people in the room? Um, And who are the anti-heroes of the people in the room? (laughs) We found that at North Point. You go from Buckhead Church. Yeah. Inside the perimeter, yep. which is the circle around Atlanta to Brownsbridge Church, right. which is 40 miles north of there, where everybody can afford to live who has seven, right. 8,000 kids. And, uh, and so it just changes who you reference. Yeah. Yeah. So those are great ways to kind of address relevance in a talk. But you know, here at Orange, we're all on this team writing a curriculum and coming up with different components um, that we want to offer churches to help as they address culture. So what are some of the things that you think through, Steve, when you're coming up with these components and, and putting them in the different series that we put out? Um, definitely things that are timely, mm-hmm. I guess. And it's really difficult because our culture just keeps moving faster and faster and faster. So you almost can't even keep up with what's going on. Uh, especially the way we do things, we release yeah. things quarterly. So that makes it a little bit of a challenge, but, um, I would say, I mean, one example for me is always the music. I am a music person, so I mm-hmm. definitely have a bias toward that. Mm-hmm. But even if you're not a music person, it's a great way to make an outsider feel comfortable. So if you play me, number one, play music in an environment, no matter where you are, because it just takes the awkward level and dials it way down. Yes. Yep, that's um, true. But aside from that, just aside from your life, that's just something you need to do at your house, by the way. So. <laughs> If I ever come to your house, please just be playing music. depends on what music. That's right. right. Yeah. Just play some music, anything. It'll be a lot less awkward. So that's the number one thing. Yeah. But on top of that, yeah, I mean, you need to play things that, and it's a little difficult, obviously, in the context of what we're doing, because we can't play everything that's popular in a church environment. Right. That would mm-hmm. cause a lot of problems. So, you know, there's a lot of curating that needs to happen there, but, you know, music that at least feels like it's a part of what is now. That's a huge thing because again, an outsider can walk in and immediately make a connection there and be like, Hey, this at least feels like a place that I would go to outside of church, you know? So it feels like a a regular environment they would go to. And it's not even necessarily a conscious thought that they have, Oh, because of the music, this feels like someplace I would be, but it creates this environment that immediately puts them at ease. Absolutely. It's the number one Less awkward, that's the number one thing. But the number two thing is the part where it's, again, it can't be all, or Christian music in general. I mean, that's obviously a philosophical thing. But to use mainstream music is a great way to create an entry where they can walk in and it just feels, as you say, it it doesn't feel that much different than it did outside. Right. At least at that part. Yeah. And believe it or not, there is mainstream music that won't get you fired in a church. (laughs) And Steve has found it. Steve spends hours and hours and hours finding it. But yeah. he finds yes. it. It does yeah. exist. It does exist. It's a little like a unicorn. Well, yeah. I feel like Crystal and I talked about this all the time because we grew up this in the same era that like the 90s in the Christian church world. The was golden days. The golden days. <laughs> that was really when... Jars of Clay. That's right. I was going to say that you couldn't talk about this without mentioning Jars of Clay. I was so edgy. It was DC talk. <laughs> <laughs> 
But that was really when Christian culture kind of became its own thing where I felt like before we just, I don't know, it was more just like praise and worship kind of stuff. But then like the nineties was when we started creating music that was like its own deal and it felt cool and hip and that kind of thing. I think you're forgetting Striper. No, that I was mean, before our that's true. time. It was I before think. your time. <laughs> it was before my time. That's, that's great. <laughs> Good reference there. I remember when Honestly took over Bon Jovi's um, Living on a Prayer. That was the song that knocked Living on a Prayer off the top 10 or top really? whatever on MTV. Yeah. And they, they and, played and Striper they, on MTV. They did. Really? Well, Jars of Clay really Flood, deal. that was played on true. like the secular stations. Amy Grant. Now that mm-hmm. was controversy. That is true. Yeah, that that's VH1, grand. but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm so I'm so ashamed of my CD collection. No, I, I still have the Jars of Clay poster up in my room at home at my parents' house. So that's a shining, <laughs> shining light in my past. Um, so anyway, I think that was kind of a time when Christian culture kind of came into its own, and in some ways that was really great, but in other ways it continued to isolate Christians from kind of engaging culture in a way. So we're not necessarily putting Christian songs on playlists. Yeah. I mean, especially in popular culture, that's a really good point. It's when it started creating a subculture. Right. So it started really feeding into that of, and of course they wanted to reach outsiders, I guess, with a lot of that music, but at the same time, it kind of said, Hey, we can have our own thing. We yeah, can have our own concerts. Probably we can have our, you know, like and you're right. So that kind of contributed to that. Yeah. No offense to jars of clay. <laughs> None taken on their behalf. <laughs> okay. And I think growing up, you know, in what felt like to me the dawn of Christian music culture, which probably wasn't, but the dawn of my (laughs) Christian music culture, I felt like to be a good Christian, I had to insulate myself against any outside pop culture that it had to be only, and maybe maybe nobody else ever grew up thinking that, but I grew up thinking that to be a good Christian, you only listen to Christian music and watch Christian TV shows and Christian movies and... Mm-hmm. Uh, guys, I subscribe to a Christian magazine. What uh, what was it? CCM? I think that was it. I got that as well. That's Crystal, weird. <laughs> Crystal and Sarah, did you smash any CDs? Yes or no? Yes, like after going to youth course. camp and being convicted. I In burned. repentance. <laughs> Goodbye, burned. boys to men. I burned a tape. <laughs> a there tape? Yeah. Oh. yeah. Twisted sister. Oh. We're not going to take it. Did and then no. I went out and bought it again. Yeah. You're like, well, I was that was say, stupid. See, it was, it's almost a scheme the music industry created because then you went and bought it six yeah. months later. That's right. Yeah, it was so they got your money twice. It was a real thing. And I think it's why we're having this conversation. Right. It's w- because there's this feeling that... We can't drive culture, you know. I yeah. mean, it's that that we that it is a separate thing that we have should be in a subculture because culture is bad. And I don't. Do you know what causes that? Where does that come? I from? I don't what? know, but it is kind of that idea of in the world and not of it. I feel like right. that's that whole like we're and where's the that's line? That's a really good idea to be in the world and not of it. But I feel like but. we are. I don't know. I don't. I feel like that was taken to an extreme. Like it's not that anymore. It's right. we're just out of it, right. <laughs> out of the world. And cultural insulation to me just feels like not a possibility for our students. Like, yes. it's a great idea, but if they walk into a store at a mall, they're hearing secular music. Yeah. And if they walk by a set of posters in a shopping center, they're seeing popular celebrities. I don't know that it's even a possibility to completely isolate ourselves, even if that were the goal. Well, especially now with phones. I mean, that yes. was a possibility as kids for mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. But and for any youth pastor, I think, but I, it's just, it's this generation now that 
it's not just going to a mall. It's opening up your phone and it, they're yeah. surrounded by it. So it almost feels like it's more important now more than ever to kind of figure out a way to engage culture. So what would you guys say is the tension that student pastors or youth pastors are feeling when it comes to leveraging culture? <laughs> well, strictly from an environment perspective, I mean, we're talking about a lot of different things. We're talking about speaking, mm -hmm. we're talking about media, we're talking about small groups. So there's a lot of components here. So if we're talking about the actual worship experience where you're in the room and everybody's there, I think the main concern is probably what can I leverage that's appropriate? Because mm -hmm. we even have conversations in here of, hey, we want to title something this, but there's something that's titled this that people could confuse or right. cross-reference. And so we're always concerned about that. So I think that's the problem is is addressing a certain television show that may be considered like, eh, so you're not sure if you can use that in a big conversation where you can use that in a smaller conversation. Right. So if we're just talking about the worship environment, again, from the stage and all of that, I think that is probably one of the bigger tensions is, can I put this up on screen? Can I play this? Can I talk about it? Is it going to cause a you know, problem? Because there it feels like if I talk about it, am I, does that seem like I'm endorsing it? That's mm -hmm. exactly right. Right. Yeah, or... Am I just going to get in trouble for it? I mean, I right. think that's part of the challenge is some of you live in a place where you were told directly not to use culture. And I don't even know what that means. I don't know. Right. Those, those are some pretty crazy lines um, or undefined lines at some point. Or what you're saying, I think, is exactly right. Like to talk about this, to acknowledge this, to play a song from this band which is an amazing song, even though there are five other bad ones, Yeah, you know, with We're explicit lyrics. We're looking at you, lyrics. Chance the Rapper. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, seriously. Yeah. Um, you know, are you endorsing it? So that's... Yeah, we do talk about that a lot, that there's, you know, these songs on their own that are great, but, oh, you listen to these other ones by the same artist, and if the student listens to this one, are they going to immediately go to these other ones and get, get right. confused about the message that we're sending and that sort of thing, so... That's definitely a tension. What else? What else do you think student pastors or youth pastors are feeling when it comes to making, creating places that are relevant and creating places where students who aren't churched can come and experience church? I mean, it's the same tension, just a different medium when mm -hmm. you talk about social media. Mm -hmm. And if you, yes, of course, Snapchat gets used for bad things. It's not only used for bad things. Right. And so what we see student pastors saying online all the time is, do, do I use Snapchat in yeah, my ministry right. or do I not? Right. So what would you say? Personally, what would y'all say when it comes to using these sort of mediums? Would you say it's a good idea? When it comes to social media, I would say use with caution. <laughs> <laughs> use publicly. I yeah. think there's been this shift in social media culture in the last five years to where we, you know, when, when things first started, it was like everything was public and everything a kid said was public. And it was all about the mm -hmm. Instagram filter and, and your public persona. And while that's still sort of true, mm -hmm. student culture has moved underground and toward one-on-one -on -one communication and disappearing communication. And as a student pastor, obviously you should be careful with right. that as a youth worker, for sure. Don't engage in one-on-one -on -one conversations, opposite sex, sharing pictures, all of that. Right. But that doesn't mean that you can't have a public account to at least even be aware of what your students are following, what messages they're getting. Um, I follow some accounts on Instagram that I would not for my own personal health. Like <laughs> I don't necessarily enjoy looking at like Teen Vogue's Instagram or at MTV's Instagram, but it does tell me what my students are seeing, and that helps me understand a little bit better when they use certain terms or have certain ideas where those are coming from. 
Crystal, I love that point. And I want to talk about that in our next podcast episode when we discuss what it looks like to be keeping pace with student culture. But I do want to talk a little bit more about the tension, um, especially when it comes to the different ages that we're dealing with, because it does seem like there are for a lot of social media mediums an age that you have to be to engage it. But if you've got middle schoolers, they're not necessarily of that age yet, but right. a lot of them have it anyway. So what, what, what do you pastors do with that? Well, if you have middle and high school, it makes it twice as tough because yeah. all high schoolers are there. Some middle schoolers are, most middle schoolers are. And then there's the question of should they be there? I mean, right. the research is mounting up about how damaging social media is for middle schoolers. And right. so in one hand, I want to make the stance you shouldn't have it. On the other hand, that's where they are. Right. So... You know, we, we used to have the argument all the time is should we use Instagram is the big thing in Atlanta with students, mm-hmm. yeah. I think. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah. Last Still time true. I checked. No. Um, and so, you know, we eventually said, you know what, we're going to do Instagram for students and we're going to use it to, you know, communicate nonstop mm-hmm. kind of throughout the week. And we came up with schedules and what we thought would be a good idea. And, of course, we got pushback from several, like, you know, and it was your my daughter came home and asked for Instagram because Because you're pushing it and you said it was okay. And I guess that's just the tension. And finally we just gave and we just did it and, um, and just explained, you know, we don't, we don't necessarily feel like they should Here's some research that maybe they shouldn't. The reality is they're all there. And so we're going to be there as well. And we said, Facebook is for mamas. Instagram (laughs) is for the students and Twitter is for youth pastors. So that's that's so true. (laughs) <laughs> that it does bring up a good point of it seems like it's a good opportunity to partner with parents when it ta- when it That's comes to yeah. leveraging culture. So have you did you have an opportunity to have conversations with parents on how they could guide their students, their children. When it came to social media. When it came to social media and culture oh, in that gosh, way. gosh, that's a whole new podcast, right? We could go that. on and on. So would you say that there are any other tensions that youth pastors are feeling? I mean, for me, the tension when it comes to culture is I'm just not really good at paying attention to it. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a 44 year old man and it used to be important to me, you know, when mm-hmm. I was 12 and 13 and 15 maybe, but f- somewhere along the line, I lost touch with it. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember having a conversation about the shoes I wear on stage with some people who really care yeah. about it, you know, <laughs> and they were like, you got to quit buying your shoes at REI if you're going to be on stage. Right. And I was like, ah, <laughs> you know, I don't, <laughs> so I. It ended up a two-hour conversation <laughs> right. on an airplane ride where we decided that I needed to buy Vans because okay. those match me best. So some strange things like that um, that don't seem to matter, but I don't know. So people all the time, because of my position, bring me a bumper video or an image or they ask me what I think of this logo, and I honestly, I don't, have an, I don't even know how to engage culture because yeah. I don't know what. So I don't know. I mean, that's yeah. why I, I, that's why I always turn to Steve, you know? <laughs> Do you feel like it's your age that discounts you? No, no, I don't think that at all. I think there are lots of 44-year-old people right. who really get it, but they love it. There are people who love culture and there are people who, who don't. But I think for those of us who don't or aren't paying attention enough, we've just got to admit that. Right, mm-hmm. that's good. And find people who get it. Yeah, right? so it's your age that doesn't disqualify you. It's oh, your gosh, interest no. in it. No, I mean, think, mm-hmm. you know, uh, think about the who runs music industries, advertising agencies, all those sorts of things. Those are, you know, I'm sure they're old. I don't know who runs them. I don't know anybody personally who does it, but I mean, it's, it's business in America. Right. So, and that's something that we ran into here when we started high school camp Mm -hmm. was we had 
2,000 teenagers coming to see us and it had to be cool and it had to look awesome and engaging and something that they felt like was made for them. Mm -hmm. And looking around our own team, we were like, yeah, we're we're probably not the people <laughs> to do that. <laughs> so we began to reach outside within our own organization and, mm -hmm. and said, okay, so we have some designers. We have some very young staff who are just cool. You see it when they walk in the room mm -hmm. and it's like, I'm talking to you, Megan Hewitt. It's just mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. Um, and we asked them what will make this great. What will make our social media great? What will make our t-shirt designs great? What will make our playlist great. And Steve was one of those people who yeah. started from the very beginning, Steve and his wife, actually, Julie helped us set up some environments to be awesome. But I think you have to find the people yes. and ask them and be honest enough with yourself to, to know if you're not that person. Yeah. Yeah. And to both chef and crystal, I mean, that's a great point. I mean, I mean, chef, you're a phenomenal communicator. I'm not that person. But that's, that's the thing is you say, here's my lane, here's where I focus, here's what I really want to do. Let me find those other people who are plugged in or, you know, the tastemakers in the church or people who are outside of high school or maybe in their, in college or early twenties or whatever the case may be. And they're plugged into it. They can give you that feedback and let you know, cause it doesn't have to rest entirely on you. And if you don't have a staff or a team, that's fine too. There are still people who would especially people who are into culture and mm -hmm. art and stuff like that, they just love to be in it. They don't mm -hmm. necessarily want to go, Hey, I'm looking for X, Y, and Z to happen. They just, they would love to give you their feedback. And so I think you can still tap into a lot of talent, even if that's necessarily not your thing. If you ask people, who are, did you say tastemaker? Is that what you said? What, is that, what does that mean? I need That's you right. to define that. <laughs> okay. They just, I think my wife, she's a designer is one of those. And if you came to her, I mean, if you came to her and said, can you just help make this look better? Yeah. She would love to help. Yeah. You know, I mean, people do that all the time. They bring like their wedding, you know, brochure. I wanted to say, <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for? The wedding invitation or whatever. And then she just lays it out better and right. finds a better font. And you know, like comic sans is not going to do it for oh. your wedding font, but Note still one of my favorites. Never use comic sans <laughs> <laughs> or papyrus. If you, if you take nothing else away from this podcast, <laughs> no more comic sans, no more comic sans. Okay. So we've talked a lot about how or what it looks like to leverage it, but what would you all say when should you leverage it? Like, what does that look like? When do we know we're doing it well? And when do we know if we're going too far and engaging culture in a way that's not health healthy necessarily? I mean, my personal opinion is you should always engage it. Um, it but as I stated earlier, it just depends on the environment. Mm -hmm. It depends on the context. It's a lot different to have a conversation with a student one-on-one -on -one about Game of Thrones, but you may not necessarily want to have that conversation <laughs> from the main stage, right? right. So I think that, it's definitely important to be plugged in. It's always important to leverage it. It's just going to look so different from moment to moment. So when you're preparing your talk or you're preparing your environment, that's a totally different thing than I'm talking to a student about X, Y, and Z and we're right. just hanging out. So I think that's, for me, It's you. I think you always want to be aware of culture and to definitely somehow pull it into your, you know, talks, whether it's through, you know, YouTube videos or something mm -hmm. like that, or if you want to do a cool opener with a song that's, mm -hmm. you know, like, you know, whatever those things may be, you can do all of those things. It's just that there are some things you probably wouldn't talk about for a main stage. That's, that's just my opinion. Maybe chef, you would, I don't know. What talk about, oh, no, I wouldn't talk about game of Thrones from stage to middle schoolers. <laughs> I would not, <clears throat> but, um, you know, for me, 
I think part of it goes a little bit deeper. It's not should I use or shouldn't I use culture. I think it's this subculture idea that's stuck in many of us who grew up in mm-hmm. an age that we did that they're two separate things. Mm-hmm. And if we think less about should I should I use culture and more about how do we drive culture? Mm-hmm. How do we? How, mm-hmm. how, I mean, we want to send our kids out there. Like, are we preparing them for the culture? Or are we right. protecting them from the culture? That's I think a great yeah. point. When Very you start, protecting. when you start moving into protection mode, you're not helping because right. what we said That's is, a great point. their phones are in their pocket. They're going to walk out into it, and and then they're stuck in this. I'm not sure necessarily right. what to do. When you when you try to raise some butt kickers that are going to go out and change culture, then you can talk about culture in a healthy way, where you right. can talk about. You know, most of the time in churches who are in protection mode, you talk about culture almost always negatively. Mm-hmm. If you're in a prepare them for it, you talk about culture as something that can be changed, something that we need leaders to help with or or even embrace what's great about culture. Right. I love that point. It's not all bad, but it does seem to be talked about like it's all bad. And Steve, you mentioned having like an opener. I think sometimes our the tension can be stay away from secular altogether mm-hmm. or be secular every chance you get. But then you kind of lose the point behind the secular, like you have an opener just for the sake of having an opener, but you want to pick something that is intentional and that matches your message and is actually going to help the students process the message that they're about ready to hear, not just because it sounded cool. Sarah, that is such a great point because students can sniff out (laughs) when you are leveraging culture just to leverage it. One of my own sweet sophomore girls, we did a, a... series at church with a Snapchat kind of theme. Mm-hmm. And she's 15. We walked into group. She rolls her eyes and says, well, that was a stretch for relevance. <laughs> I almost died. Ouch. I was like cheering the church on. Like yeah. you nailed it. And and they're going, yeah, no. you're just using that to be cool. Wow. And, and right. so there has to be almost like an authentic reason right. to leverage culture from the stage. Um, And I think Steve made a great point that what you say and do and play from main stage should be different than than what's going on -on one-on-one. And that's not being um, fake from stage. It's just that it comes off as more of an endorsement from stage than in a one-on-one conversation. One-on-one or one-on-group with my own girls, um, I'm always wanting to talk to them about popular culture. In fact, I ask them to make me Spotify playlists all the time Yeah, because it's free um, and because their taste is better than mine. Mm Mm-hmm. But also because it gives me a chance to have a conversation and model for them what it looks like to interact with media to say, well, you know, I really like that song, but they said this one thing and it kind of bothered me and they get to see me processing it and Mm -hmm. we'll teach them, I hope we'll find out to interact with the media that they see instead of shutting it all out. Right. Um, It gave me a chance recently to say, hey, you sent me this song and it is cool. But it said something, and right. if I'm honest, I don't think you know what that means. Yeah. Here's what it means. Point. And she goes, oh, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. And it, great. I just think it, as leaders, we have to kind of own our role in modeling how to interact with a culture that's right. ubiquitous that we can't always isolate ourselves from. I mean, yeah. think about how, I mean, the things about culture is it's so inconsistent. It provides mm-hmm. so many opportunities for great conversations that if we're not going to leverage it, we're missing tons of really connectable. I mean, because mm-hmm. we're trying to get them to engage with culture in a healthy way. Right. So, for instance, justice is a big deal right now. Justice for all people, mm-hmm. all types of people, all genders of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At the same time, some of the popular music treats women as commodities mm-hmm. in, in ways that I'm like, how 
how, how can a woman be singing that song? You know, and but right. mm-hmm. to your point, they're not even necessarily thinking about it. But to put those things together and just ask the question, like how how should we respond mm-hmm. to this? You know, not should this song song exist, but how should you respond as a Christian person mm-hmm. to that song? Gosh, that's such a great point. Pretending it doesn't exist versus responding to it because it does exist. Well, and it seems like it goes back to that thing we talk about often. It's, it's attention that it, yeah. culture is not going to be all bad. It's not going to be all good. But that means we just have to stay on our toes when right. it comes to engaging it. And we're trying to help kids figure out who they are in the right. midst of that. Right. Right. So culture isn't making them be one thing or the other. They're right. trying to sort out where they stand in the middle of it. And that's really our job. Yeah. So... Both Chef and Crystal, I mean, that's such a great observation because as Chef pointed out, you know, justice is a huge thing right now. And so is a lot of popular music. Yeah, it's a great thing. And so, but also, as as you say, a lot of popular music may speak in disparaging ways about all kinds of people, as you mentioned, in particular women. So it's a really good opportunity to have a conversation with a student about those contradictions. It's not that you're trying to slam culture and say, hey, look at this. This is wrong. Mm -hmm. What you're trying to do is say, hey, look you're getting two different messages here. Mm -hmm. It's like how, and you're, and you kind of, you're not endorsing the song or something, but Hey, you're getting these two messages. You're kind of on board with, you know, just at least listening to this and you're definitely on board with this part over here. How do we reconcile those two different things? And it's a, it's just a great opportunity to do that, to, to bring that conflict in again, that's probably more of a small group thing. I mean, or maybe it is something from the main stage, but culture does give you that opportunity to, talk about the elephant in the room instead of just acting like it doesn't exist. Well, I love that because when we do the phase project, we talk a lot about the mental and cognitive development that kids are going through and students are really moving into more of abstract thinking. So, but not all of them are there yet. So they're thinking in black and white terms. So to be able to talk through with them that this isn't a black and white issue when it comes to this song or this artist, that there's going to be nuances to all of it is kind of a new concept for them to help them kind of process it. And I think as leaders, sometimes we feel like it's our job to put a label on things. This right. is good. That is bad. Right. But maybe it's more helpful to be honest, even when I'm looking at my own playlist or my own movie watch list going, that was interesting. I felt weird about that. I felt <laughs> right. awkward when they said this. I felt like I disagreed with that. Yeah. I, I actually liked the show. But they said something in the show I disagreed with and just saying that to students and kind of cueing their own conscience to Mm -hmm. go, that thing, that wasn't great. But the rest of it, I kind of understand. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things I've started to do, and maybe we're moving into the what could we do about it sort of conversation at this point, but I try to read. I read all the time and I try to read books in threes. I read something that is just fun to read. Mm-hmm. So it, which for me is some sort of history thing, which is weird <laughs> or war. That's fun too. Two, um, I try to read something that's inspiring or mm-hmm. that matches what I believe. And three, I try to read something that challenges me mm-hmm. and it's those things that challenge me or put me into that situation of, uh, you know, but when I read that book, it's usually full of swears because mm-hmm. it's written by, right. you know, somebody, yep. Um, and, and it, and it, it helps me clarify what I believe about what's true. Mm-hmm. Well, and I love that. I think, I think I read in a book at some point, something along the lines of all truth is God's truth. So I think sometimes we can read those books that are challenging us or find something in culture that's like 
I wouldn't normally. That's exactly what I find. Yeah. Exactly what you're saying. It's yeah. Like they mm-hmm. they have discovered the same thing I've discovered. I just know where it comes from. Right. You know. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's possible to go to a secular source and find something that's from God, and they might not even know that it's from God. I think but, that's absolutely mm-hmm. true. So, Gosh, and I love when that happens, and a student sees it. Yes. And you know, a student says to me, "I love the show, The One Hundred, and because I've seen some episodes of The One Hundred, I can say." Hey, you know, this episode where they talk about the value of life, that actually came from something that Jesus said, or that actually is something that we believe, like when something resonates with them and, and really I would say it's the image of God in them going, yeah, that, that that is right. Um, I love pointing out those moments to kids. Well, what Jesus said about women and children in the context of that, of the Roman, I mean, Mm -hmm. that was crazy countercultural. Yeah. 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 Just thinking about pop culture and we've talked about different TV shows or music, but another thing, why we leverage pop culture. So we have talked uh, extensively in this group about 13 reasons why. And if you're not familiar with it, look at Wikipedia. Um, But, you know, it basically addresses teen suicide and talks about that. And it's uh, it's not light viewing by any stretch. And so we have all kinds of different opinions about it. But the one thing that's interesting about that show, and this is an instance where we talk so much, I, I think, especially in the, um, the faith-based world mm-hmm. that pop culture creates things or drives things. And this is an instance of where a show is mirroring culture. It's doing mm-hmm. the opposite. So this is something that this already existed, right? Suicide is a huge problem right now. It's growing. And we talk about that as well and all the reasons for that. And so that's an example of a show. You don't have to sit there and binge watch it. You don't have to know all the nuances of it, but it's a great thing to know about because that is an example where pop culture is actually mirroring what is taking place in the world. And it actually gives you a view into that as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously that's a lot more dramatic when you're looking at a television show. So it's not perfectly mirroring it, but it at least gives you a window into what is happening in the world. So that's where culture can actually serve you and your understanding of student culture mm-hmm. and what's going on. And even the underground nature of the culture that Crystal talked about is those are moments for you to at least read about and to know and to understand what's going on. And again, that is reflective of what is happening uh, in youth culture at large. And anytime there's a tension like that with parents and students, that's an opportunity for the church to engage yeah. in certain ways. You have to be strategic and wise about it. We argued about yeah. that um, mm-hmm. as a church. We were trying to figure out how to do that. And we felt the tension we talked about earlier. Like, if I talk about it, will it get more kids to go watch it? Right. And, right. and so the way we decided, we did not talk about it from stage, but we prepared our small group leaders just in case it went there. And many of them did. And we, and it was a great opportunity to connect with parents and say, Hey parents, I don't know if you've heard about this, but this is what's being discussed. And then we, it, it gave us an opportunity to really partner with parents and connect with them there. So that's why we have to engage with culture. That's good because it's not going away and our ignoring it is not going to make it disappear from their lives. No, nor is it going to change anything. Right. No. Yeah. That's good. So I feel like there are some major points that kept coming up again and again in this conversation when we're trying to answer the question of when to leverage and not leverage culture and youth ministry. And one of the things was when Chef said, I love this, preparing our students for culture versus protecting them. And I think that's a great kind of metric to keep in mind um, when we're deciding when to leverage culture. I love the idea of maintaining attention that, t- that culture is not going to be all bad and it's not going to be all good, but paying attention to when um, it's going to be helpful or not. 
using it with intentionality and not just for the sake of using it. And then using it for a dialogue one-on-one and not just from the stage or with both. And also learning from, I love that idea, Chef, again, when you were talking about reading books that are coming from different people that aren't necessarily going to agree with you, you're not necessarily going to agree with on everything and learning from them. Right. Well, it helps you understand where people are coming from. That's good. And as Chef said too, just to add on to that, that actually opens the door for dialogue with parents. That's great. So there are opportunities that will present themselves just like you said with that show. Anything else y'all want to wrap up with? Don't use Comic Sans. (laughs) (laughs) Great point. Got it. Can't talk anymore. I'm scrolling MTV's Instagram. (laughs) Do listen to Striper. I think that's a really important cultural. You know what we've been missing is a Striper opening song. Yeah. Where are those at? I'm happy to perform. And after this, Sarah and I will go Google to find out who Striper is. I've got it queued up right as soon as we're done (laughs) recording here. So, and then one other thing. I think this is really important is Crystal, you just finished a book I saw and I've read parts of it and you address this directly. Yes, actually with my friend and colleague, Ashley Bohens, we just finished the art of group talk for teenage girls. There's also an art of group talk for teenage guys. And one of the things that we talk about is just knowing your students um, by knowing their worlds. And there's some practical tips in there on just how to get to know their worlds, even when you don't live in them. Love that. That's awesome. Well, we are going to come back next time and talk more about how to keep pace with the student culture. And if you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps make the podcast better. And finally, for more great resources or to check out the show notes for this episode and to learn more about the student curriculum and strategy we're all a part of at Orange, visit our website, rethinkingym.org. Until next time, I'm Sarah. I'm Chef. I'm Crystal. I'm Steve. And thank you for listening.